Good morning, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and open them up. We'll read in just a moment, verses 27 through verse 42 will be our text. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, the words should be on the screen. How about this gift that God has given to us today? Um, an absolutely beautiful, beautiful day to be together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people. We have a text before us. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It is when the deity of Christ, in a sense, collides with the humanity of Christ. It is a heavy, heavy text that in many ways is very challenging to us. Um, every song that have already has been ministered to our hearts um, is a reminder of God's unconditional love, regardless of where we are at in our walk. Um, let's bow first and foremost, and we'll dive into this text. Ask God to speak to us um, and lead us as he um, sees fit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you already for the time that we have been blessed in lifting up our voices to you and being reminded, Lord, that your love for us is unconditional. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the reports of what you are doing. We rejoice with the group that is leaving tomorrow, early tomorrow, to serve you in Guatemala. We ask blessings upon them, protect them. We thank you for the work of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that we have a reason to work hard and to save and to sacrifice and to fly long distances because it matters. What you've called us to as faithful servants matters. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all the glory for answers to prayer when it comes to the building update. We thank you so much, Lord, for what you are doing. God, we plead for your wisdom every step of the way. We, we thank you that you are an amazing, faithful God. Lord, now as we are bowed before you with your word open, I would ask, you know my heart, I am in such need um, of your uh, strength and clarity and wisdom as we touch on a text that is far, far beyond my, my reaching, my capability in, in trying to explain the truth that you have. Father, please speak and may your servants hear. We love you. Uh, we'd ask that everything that is said and done would be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. The, the, the deity of Christ collides with the humanity of Christ, and we get it right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and it really is a picture in many ways um, of examining our own hearts. I want us this morning, and my prayer this week would be that we, we truly examine what we are committed to and how committed are we really. I began to make a list and I thought, okay, well, I'm committed to what? There's like these peripheral, superficial things 
I'm, I'm a Phillies fan. I've been committed. I'm 48 years old. I've been committed to the Phillies, I think, since I was like 47 and a half. My, my parents taught me. It's kind of silly, I understand. But then there's like greater degrees of commitment. We're committed to the job or the career that God has called us to. Greater than that, we're committed to the responsibilities of, of, of our family. Greater than that, than raising our children, is the commitment to our spouse. And then, and then above even that is to be our commitment first and foremost to the Lord. Above everything else, everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say has got to be done with what is it that the Lord would want me to do. Now, you and I know that we live in what? We live inside these bodies that are fallen and cursed at best. And I think what has happened as uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have oftentimes twisted some of the truth, even that is given to us in the word of God, that says that we must at some way, if we're to be committed to God, then we must only and only settle for perfection. That, that if, if we shoot, if we miss in any way, if we mess up in any way, then we are a failure. And I want us to look at that truth in this text that that, that, that is not how God views us. He knows that we are what? That we are weak. And we'll, we'll examine that with the examples that are given, even with those that were as committed as the disciples. I read this week that, 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 that there's a great misnomer that we think that um, Christians are angels, but they're not angels. We're not angels. We're saints. We're set apart. There's a big difference between what? Followers of Jesus being saints and being angels. We, we are not in any way going to make every single decision perfect. So rather than listening to the lies of Satan that says, well, you're less than, or how dare you even come into a church? How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus when you failed in some capacity? Jesus gives us hope this morning. Let's look at this text very quickly to set the scene. We know the events in the upper room have just come to an end. The last supper has been celebrated. One system, in a sense, has ended. Another has been established. We know the Lord's Supper, the communion table, has been instituted and installed. There's a new meaning to an old celebration. We know last week we saw this one, this betrayer, Judas, has been identified. He has very quickly exited. The meal is complete. The last song was sung. And Jesus is now with his, what's remaining 11 disciples. And they will go up to the Mount of Olives, no doubt a favorite place, that there, there can be quietness and calm. But even in these moments, these final moments, Jesus patiently still teaches. He sees his disciples, and this morning in our text, as Jesus is praying in absolute agony, he sees you. And I want, I want you to be reminded that although we will all fall short at some way, we will all fail, we will all fall, that what? God is at work in your life. God is at work doing something amazing in your life. 
Pick it up in verse 27, Mark chapter 14. Jesus said to them, this is after 26, they had sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all said the same. And he went to a place called Gethsemane and he says, said to his disciples, sit, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and they began to be, and, and, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Four points I want to give to you this morning. Number one, Jesus predicts. Jesus predicts. It says, and Jesus said to them in verse 27, you will all fall away. For it is written, what? I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It is here in a sense we get a glimpse into the weakness of the followers of Jesus. Not only the weakness of the disciples, but we have to look at what the mirror of God's word, where we measure what even the weakness that exists in our own lives and in our own hearts. When we measure the commitments Earlier in Jesus's ministry, we read this when Jesus was teaching in Mark chapter eight, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the son of man be ashamed? In a sense, there's a measuring stick that says, are you going to be ashamed? Because if you are, there is a moment that the son of man will do exactly the same. Now, just think in all of their minds, they've just seen one of their own Judas fall into this category permanently, forever shamed, forever in a sense, what resulting in eternal separation. So there's got to be something between Judas, this, this permanent shame and this type of shame 
that we have that is temporary or fleeing at some moment. Have you ever been in a situation where you have been embarrassed to call yourself a Christian or been in a situation where you've been embarrassed to speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think if we were to examine that, every single one of us, I, I know, I know, I have to confess that. That God has opened the door. I prayed for an opportunity and God has given an opportunity and that opportunity comes. And for some reason, yeah, I just don't want to be painted as one of them. And there's a degree in a sense that what I have been ashamed. And we, we, we look at, we look at the life of the disciples now, we know that there have been, what, stages of spiritual growth. And we know that this is not the finished product here. If you were to fast forward chronologically, by the time you get to, to the, God, the, the book of Acts and in chapter 5, we have the last recorded scene of all of the disciples together corporately. And it says this in Acts chapter 5. This is the last record of them all being together in verses 40 and 41. It says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And they left the presence of the council, listen to this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So somewhere along the way, these guys that fall asleep in the garden, something like big happens by the time you get to Acts chapter 5. And they're like, guess what? We get to get beat for his glory. Some, somewhere along the way, something significant. In this particular moment, we get a glimpse of the full omniscience, the deity of Christ on display. When Jesus says, it is written, he quotes what? Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And he's predicting in a sense that you will fail. You will fall. None of us, none of us, none of us who ever claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us who have ever understood, even for a glimpse, the joy of forgiveness. None of us who have ever truly had a desire to obey Christ ever want to fail. None of us. We, we, we never want to, to fall. But what we need to be reminded of this morning is this. We do. And we will. I have in many times felt the pressing weight of conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life because I have sinned. I began to make a list. I have been angry. I have been selfish. I have been lustful. I have been jealous. I have been fearful. I have doubted in my life and I have wandered in my life. And upon feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I have prayed and I have confessed my sin. And I have said, I will never, ever, ever do that again. And I have. Because I'm flesh. And so have you. Every single one of us will fail. Every single one of us at some 
level. Jesus is standing before his own disciples. He has been with them for more than three years. And he says, you will fail me. You hear that and you're like, well, ouch. I, I don't like to hear that, but it's true. You ever strike out before? You ever, ever drop the ball in the end zone? You ever get bucked off of a horse before? All of those things. Ever miss the target? Like I was, I was right on. And you miss the target. You miss the mark. I've done all of those things on numerous occasions. That, that's, that's what the word literally, the word sin means, missing the mark. None of us ever want to do this. None of us ever plan to do this. But that's exactly what happens. Do we what? As Romans chapter 6 says, just continue in sin so that grace may abound. I read this standing in the river last Sunday with a couple of people to be baptized. Do we just continue in sin because we're sinners? Sinners sin, right? God forbid. Continue reading in Romans in chapter 6. By the time you get to verse 12, it says, Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why? Continue reading in Romans chapter 6, you get to verse 22. Why? We have been set free from sin. Today, as we are reminded, as we are confronted with the fact that just like these disciples, we will all fall short. We will all fail in some way. We will all collapse. We must keep an eye on the one who will never collapse. Alistair Begg says it like this. There are only two things I am most certain. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, I have a great savior. And you and I must, must, must be reminded of that. Jesus predicts that we, just like those disciples, will fall short. Number two, yet what? The disciples protest. It says in verse 31, but he, speaking of Peter, said emphatically, Another translation says, he says, vehemently, he says what? If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all cheered in. They all sounded in. They all lined up and said, me too, me too. I'm ready to take it for you. I love you that much. Remember reading of a man who wrote a love letter to his precious girlfriend. And we as men can spin great words together. And he was talking about the fact that he loved her so much that he would cross or swim the deepest sea and he would climb the highest mountain. And we men would we'd cheer in on that. And he closed the letter, the love letter, by this adding this one phrase. He says, I can't wait to see you. I'm going to stop by. I'm going to pick you up at 7 o'clock on Friday night if it's not raining. You know, I think oftentimes that, I thought that was kind of funny, actually. I think that describes the level of our love and the level of our commitment to Jesus. It's a perfect picture of what's happening right here with these disciples. The disciples, in a sense, are saying, I will die for you, but I can't stay awake for you. It almost, it almost seems silly, and yet that is exactly what's happening. When someone makes such a claim as vehemently or emphatically as Peter does right here, in essence, what you are saying is what? 
you know more than Jesus does. Do you realize that? I'm not saying that we shoot low. I'm not saying that we lower the bar, but you don't claim more. What? You don't claim to know more than the one who created you. Peter reveals something that we all struggle with here, and it bubbles up to the surface. Peter reveals his own pride. I would never do that. I'll never let you down. I will never fail you, even if, it, even if it means to die. If we in arrogance, and I purposely use that word, if we in arrogance ever speak like that, then we are doing exactly the same thing that Peter is doing. What we need to do is we need to take every single breath, trusting the Lord to give us the strength at that very moment. He says, what? That my grace is sufficient for you in that hour of need. Don't boast or brag in your faith. Don't, don't boast and brag in your faith. You trust and you rest in his work and in his ability and not your own. Number three, what Jesus prays, verses 35 and 36. It says he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is the one who, who doesn't get troubled. There's been stormy seas and he's asleep in a boat. There's been crowds, What? The, the one to drag him off and kill him, to tear him to pieces. And he is cool all the way through. And yet here, what? It be, he began to be greatly distressed and trouble going a little further. He fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He cries out, Abba, Father. The most intimate term all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. Peace. I want to drink this. Yet, yet not my will, not what I want, but what you want. Now, remember, if you recall last week, that there were four cups in the Passover, and the last one was left untouched. He didn't drink it. Jesus what, knows what is coming for the kingdom of God to be established. And is right here at this moment in Gethsemane, literally this garden of, of olive, this grove of olive trees. Gethsemane means press of oils. That Jesus himself is being pressed. In that moment, he takes those that are closest to him, Peter, James, and John. And he, and he literally, he just opens up his heart. Very interesting that when people are facing imminent death, historical record speaks of this all over the place, that people act in uncertain ways. It's, it's, it's recorded all over. The Greeks spoke of this in their own history when they lifted up their own Socrates. If you remember, he was forced by way of execution to drink hemlock. And, and what was interesting is that he's literally what? He's acting in this really odd, strange way. They wrote about the fact that he's giving out these ironic, kind of funny, humorous one-liners, cracking jokes with those that are near him. In Jewish history, First and Second Maccabees, their heroes were often presented as fearless and, and hot-blooded. They're, they're almost angry. While they're still praising Yahweh, being cut to pieces. 
Even if you look at our own Christian forefathers, there are many accounts of men and women who were burned or thrown to the animals, and yet they acted in a way that is different. There's ones of amazing calm. You'd almost say that there's some who died better than Jesus. Read about Polycarp's execution and martyrdom. Read about what? Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer being burned at the stake. Literally these two famous preachers of the gospel. And, and Latimer calls out what? Literally they're, 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 they're tied near one another. And Latimer calls out. He says, be of good comfort, Master Ridley. He says, play the man. Like, be a big boy. Quit your whining. As they lit them both up. In a sense here, there's many accounts. People die with great strength. And, and the, 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 the image that is viewed here in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus nears death. He opens up his heart and his great vulnerability. And it is revealed to his followers. And he lays out his concerns, his struggles. He lays out his 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 fears, his agonos, his agony. He's always been in absolute control. Nothing bothers him, never shook him. And yet he becomes greatly distressed and troubled. It translates to be overcome with horror. It's almost like what? Something is happening here that is more than physical death. And that is exactly the case. There's a lot more happening here. Jesus knows he's going to die. He's been talking about it for the last three years. Keller says it like this. He says, what, this event shocked the unshockable son of God. It's not just about him dying. It's about what's happening at this very moment. He is made to take this cup. And to drink from it. That's the reason Jesus says, please remove it. What, what is this cup talking about? Hebrews describes the cup often as a metaphor of the wrath of God. This is not just physical death here. This is not just facing torment. Ezekiel describes the cup of ruin and desolation. Prophet Isaiah says the cup that made you stagger refers to it as the goblet of my wrath. And so what do we have here? As hard as it is to hear, we have a God of love, in a sense, what? Which we all want, pressing wrath on his own. Now, we all want a God of love, and yet you cannot have a God of love without having a God of wrath. Think of it like this. If you love someone, you will hate that which hurts the one you love. It has to be, or it wouldn't be love. And that is exactly what Jesus is facing. And he's facing it, what? He saw you in the garden. He saw you when you fail. He saw you when you cursed. He saw you when you thought that, when you did that, when you lost your temper. He saw you when you were out in fear Worry of doubts. He saw you. And he knew what it was going to take. But he says, what? Not, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus is way ahead of the disciples. He said, okay, if you're so committed, two commands. I'm going to give you two commands. Watch and pray. That's all you have to do. 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And these are strong commands. They're imperatives. Watch and pray. Just watch and pray. Watch and pray. It's pretty clear. It's pretty simple. Keep your eyes open. And I want you to be praying. So in a sense, what? It's different than we normally pray. And yet we see, fourthly and finally, the disciples sleep. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to answer him. You ever been caught before? And like, there are no words. There is no excuse here. You've been caught. They don't know what to say to him. He came a third time. He said to them, are you still sleeping? Taking your rest? How about these three words in a sentence? It is... It is enough. You had an opportunity. It is enough what the hour has come. Many people don't realize how late into the night this really is. They probably were at the last supper from 6 p.m. to midnight. Six hours they were in the upper room. So what? This is well after midnight. This is 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know about you, but I get a little bit tired at 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Really? Jesus had, had just challenged them and disciples had responded, we will be there for you. We'll be there for you. Do, do, you, think that, do you think that the creator needed his creation there? No. The creator wanted his creation there. He, he wanted those whom he what formed and fashioned in his own image to watch and to pray. Now we understand we are to be faithful. We are to be committed. We are to stay alert. We are to stay awake. Just like the command went out, the instruction went out to those disciples. Yes, we are to pray faithfully. Yes, we are to pray diligently. But what we need to see in this text is what, until we are fully glorified, we will battle the weakness of our flesh and will battle it endlessly. Endlessly. So what do we what do we take from this? Keep walking. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing in. Keep confessing your sin. Christ knew, just like the disciples, what? We need to be reminded that there'll be moments that we fall asleep at the wheel, that we drop the ball, that we strike out. Christ knew that our lives would be messy. Christ knew that we would be drawn to things that are wicked and destructive. He knew that. That's why he stayed on his knees in the garden. And that's why he went to the cross. See this text as one of great hope for us. That God loved you enough to send his own son to bear the full weight of his own wrath so that you and I would be set free one day from that. (laughs) Three points. Let me give to you them in closing very quickly. Number one, God is at work in you. God is at work in you. Don't be obsessed with the circumstances. God can actually use the trials and the turmoil Okay, to remind you that he is right there. Don't give in. Second thing I'm going to leave you with is this. God is at work in you. Know that you will fail, that others will fail you. But Christ is unfailing. 
Followers of Christ are what? They're saints. They're not angels. Don't give up. Number three, and finally, remember this. God is at work in you. Remember that there is coming a time because of the work of Christ when the kingdom of God is completely established and there will be a time that what? He will wipe away every single tear that we have. And we have that to look forward to. We have that hope to live with. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We confess, Lord, even in our weakness that we have great intentions, but yet we do fail. But we thank you, Lord, that, that our, our, our position is not changed as ones who have been adopted into your family. We're still your son. We're still your daughter. You're still our father. We thank you so much for that. Give us the strength to be faithful, to keep confessing, keep, keep pressing in, not to give up and not to give in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.